Today is Monday, September 26, 2011, and this is Radio Wave. Thank you for joining us on tonight's broadcast of Radio Wave. Our host is a friend of Medjugorje, and uh, yesterday was the 25th of the month, and the day Our Lady gives a message for the world through Maria. Uh, Because yesterday was Sunday, uh, we always avoid that broadcast on Sunday, uh, and we always move it to the following Monday. So, uh, hence for the reason for tonight's show. Uh, So, as we begin this broadcast, we ask you to open your hearts in prayer as we turn Radio Wave over to our host, a friend of Mechigoria. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May we come yet again to another 25th message. Words from you to be translated into life for us. That we then may be able to say the words to bring life to others. We ask tonight on this show, those listening in the future, even years from now, let us carry the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and hearts be open to what it is you have to say to them. Amen. Well, ladies, come and give us a special message. We always say, well, every message is a special message, but there's sometimes significant messages. And often, even sometimes when a message is given, it's at a point where we might think it's kind of mundane. And this on the surface can look that way. But I tell you, this message here is a very, very important message. It's not the normal message. It may have the appearance of that. But Our Lady does something in this message that we haven't seen before. In the 30 years of apparitions, something new, something one for us, something that we didn't have before now, as far as instructions. So we'll let you hear this message and then we'll discuss it. We ask in hearing it that you open your heart to it. Our Lady of Medjugorje's September 25th, 2011 monthly message to the world. Dear children, I call you for this time to be for all of you a time of witnessing You who live in the love of God and have experienced His gifts, witness them with your words and life, that they may be for the joy and encouragement to others in faith. I am with you and incessantly intercede before God for all of you, that your faith may always be alive and joyful, 
and in the love of God. Thank you for having responded to my call. Our Lady says the words, I am with you and incessantly intercede before God for all of you. Incessantly means without interruption, unceasingly. And so it is, she says, incessantly intercede before God. She's in front of God's throne. She hasn't left there. And this is the way we win new things from Our Lady, new gifts. Our Lady refers to gifts. You who have experienced His gifts, witness them with your words in life. I cut out that part of the message, live in the love of God, to specifically focus in on who has received the experience of God's gift. And so we have Our Lady in a succession of messages from 1984. For the first time, she says, August 1984, your responsibility is to accept divine peace, to live it, spread it, not through words, but through your life. Later in 1985, September 20th, do not become arrogant, living the messages and saying, I'm living the messages. If you should bear and live the messages in your heart, everyone shall feel it, so that words which serve those who do not obey will not be necessary. September 1986. Today today it is not words but deeds which are important. See, there's a pattern. Beginning in 1984, Our Lady doesn't want words. Our Lady wants you to put in action. She wants us to work. She wants to see these actions. She comes up a year later, February 17, 1989. Dear children, I seek your actions not your words. July 17th, 1989. I know how much you give me promises through words, but dear children, I want you to put it into practice. And on December 25th, 1989, your mother does not ask words from you. I ask for deeds. I remember that message back in 1989. It was a strong message. And so Our Lady says, April 25th, 1991, I did not desire your life to pass by in words, but that you glorify God with deeds. Everything's on the physical side. Yes, we got to pray. Yes, we got to leave the messages. Yes, we need to be doing the, the four basic messages, fasting, prayer, con- conversion, and penance, confession. But Our Lady's looking this to translate into something that we do with our life. Our Lady says the word talking, which is the same thing as words, on May 21st or 25th, 1991. There are many who think that they're doing a lot by talking about the messages, but do not live them. And we have that. We have a lot of people running around. I'm Medjugorje. I'm about Medjugorje. I could do this. But they're not living it. They expect everybody else to do it. This made a lot of parts of Medjugorje weak. Many people fell that was in the Medjugorje phenomenon. I don't say movement because that makes us small. This is not a movement. This is a happening second only to the coming of Jesus Christ. October 25th, 1992. Decide for conversions, not with words, but with life. February 25th, 93. 
Work more in the church, not through words and thoughts, but through example. October 25th, 1993. Talk. She mentions, you talk, but you do not live. September 25th, 1998. And we're progressing through the years. We started at the bottom. We're going up from 1984 to now to 1998. You speak much, little children, but you work little on your conversion. That is why I convert and start to live my messages, not with your words, but with your life. August 28th, 2009. Today, more than ever, I need your works and not your words. In February 2nd, the most recent message, your lips pronounce countless words, but your spirit does not feel anything. So how do we explain now, after all those years of repeatedly saying, I do not want words, that Our Lady says, You who live in the love of God and have experienced His gift, witness them with your words in life. What does that mean? How do we take this? How do we understand this? Here it is, Our Lady seemingly can even be given a contradiction. In 1986, I received a personal message from Maria, or rather through Maria, from Our Lady. Our Lady told me at that point, pray and by your life witness, not with words, but rather through prayer will you attain what your desire is. It's a great gift to receive words directly from Our Lady, individually. Our Lady said today, you have lived in the love of God and have experienced His gift. Witness them. I witness this, word, this message to you. Not for saying, I got these words from Our Lady, but to show you a point that here it is today, she says, with words, and here in the message she gave me, not with words. What does she mean by that? The same thing she meant through these 30 years, that she didn't want words, she wanted actions. You know what happened to St. Paul? St. Paul knew everything about the Jewish religion. He was the first, or among the first persecutors of the Christian religion. He was religious. I was a good Catholic. At least I thought I was. Our Lady didn't want me to do what I was going to do with words. I had to learn how to be in the life of a witness of her messages because she was telling us to change the direction of her life. And so when I was told, not with words, but rather through prayer, will you attain what your desire is? After she had told me, praying by your life witness, then the gifts came. This message was one of the first great gifts from Our Lady, among even more before that. So I was passive. I wasn't go go out and talk. I wasn't doing that. I was writing. And it became more and more popular. More and more people started following it. Because I defined a way through prayer. Our Lady says, you will attain what your desire is. I wanted to live the messages. I wanted her to show me how to do this. And so we go to 1995. I'm with Maria in Italy. Eight years later, we're alone. Maria's father-in-law and mother-in-law is going to come down the steps from upstairs to two floors up. 
they get violently sick before and they don't. So it's only me and Maria together for the apparition in Italy. And I'd been silent. I'd written whose opinion is right and the painful truth. I see for how to change your husband. We'd already been traveling down away with the community. We were defined. I was wanting to live my life as witness. Not publicly. Not talking about it with words. But in what she asked for a community to be established in 1988, that was progressing. We were well defined. Our spiritual philosophies and the way of salvation that our lady was showing us. It was permeated into the way we lie. We lived our life. And everybody came here. Be a witness. As she told me in 86, praying by your life, witness. And so Maria gets a special message during this apparition. After apparition, Maria says that I already gave you a message and family in the community. I was shocked. She was shocked. No, we wasn't asking even questions. I understood later that's why our mother and father-in-law was prevented from coming down. We would have thought it was something to do with him too. Our lady was making it specific. Maria was very clearly in understanding that this was an individual message and for the community, a caritas. So what happened? The same thing that happened to St. Paul. St. Paul was struck off the horse, donkey, whatever he was riding, became blind and was silent for eight years, maybe even 11 years. He had to learn how to become a Christian. He had to live that life. He had to begin to witness the Christian life. And so Our Lady didn't want me to give words for eight years, from 86 to 95. I was writing down what I was living. I wasn't interested in talking to people. I was passive. And so here it is on that day, Our Lady gives this message. Paulo comes home, her husband. They translate the message. Maria had already translated, but I wanted an exact translation. So Paulo knew creation too. He translated it. We went over and over and over it. I asked specifics about it. But here's what I said. Little children, I desire that through your lives, you are witnesses, that you are my extended hands, my instruments. Get as many hearts as you can close to my heart and lead them to God to a way of salvation. I was stunned. I said, did a lady say to the way of salvation or to a way of salvation? She, he said, translating Maria, a way, not the way, to a way of salvation. Did a lady say get? Yes. Get as many hearts as you can close to my heart. Lead them to God, to a way of salvation. Did a lady say my extended hands? Yes. A lady said, my extended hands, you're my instruments. In other words, my witnesses. I relayed back to 1988. A lady asked for a community to be established. I saw a formation on this. So for eight years, we were passive. And with this message, we were released. We were put on the horse track. The gate opened and says, go. I came home, had a big retreat with the community, was astounded by this. That just as St. Paul was given the release after eight years, of learning how to be a Christian, that at this point we had been living the messages and we had learned the way, and we're still learning, a way of salvation. 
we had written about it. I had talked about it in, in the community. I had defined what already showed me that I witnessed and what we're supposed to be witness to other people. I just simply transcribed that to paper, not words, but really a live witness, a witness with our life. And so as we did that, and many people converted to that, many people wanted more about it, so we wrote more about it. As we wrote more about it, we saw more conversion through what we did. And so it's at this point that from passive or passivity, we were sitting and waiting for things to come to us, we became proactive. And then we, because we were commissioned, this was a commission message. We were released. And so today, Our Lady does something that she's been incessantly interceding before the throne of God for you, for us, to win something. You who live in the love of God, those of you who've been walking the walk, not talking the talk, walk, but walking it, you who have had so many experiences now with Our Lady, our Lady is telling us. Experiences give. Witness them with your words and life. You're being released. You're being told to go forward with this. Not to delay it anymore. Become aggressive. I don't mean in an overbearing way. But look for the opportunities that God gives to you. Our Lady, when she says this, doesn't mean it doesn't come without a grace that she's going to open doors to you. I see this all the time. I try not to. I try to run from it sometimes. And then the next thing I know, I'm sitting by somebody playing or doing something like this. And they're, they're, we just announced today, Our Lady's Maria and her husband Paulo and my wife and I were traveling on a Latin American tour, uh, pilgrimage, bringing Our Lady to three different nations. One we haven't announced yet. It's going to be that we get waiting for the location. The other is Ecuador. And the other is Key Biscayne, Florida. October 20th, be October 24th. I'm getting on a plane this past week to Ecuador, last week. The lady next door, next to me, on another seat across the aisle, we got to talking for some reason. And I've got work to do. I've got bookers to go through. It's going to be a long flight. I had a lot of things that I needed to go, go through. Anyway, where is she at? Where does she live? None other than Key Biscayne, Florida. I says, oh, and she's her mother knows about Magic Girl, but she's not interested in it. By the time we got off that plane, this lady's interested. And she said, I'm going to be there. Her kid's even going to the same school where it's going to be, at St. Agnes Church in Key Biscayne. And I was bumped up there. I was supposed to be in the back. I was put in first class. I said, oh, this is nice. You know, you might think, oh, it's because you're holy. You're getting this. No, I knew it wasn't that. I thought, why am I here? Well, it wasn't five minutes before we even took off that I found out why I was there. To witness to this person, the stories and everything. I gave her booklets. I gave things to read. She finally says, gosh, I didn't work through the weekend. I've got to get to work. And then she gave one something else and then something else. And so God put me there. And today, our lady's saying this. I'm going to put you there. There's a lot of theirs I need you to be at. Are you willing to say, are you willing to go forward? And it's not for everybody. You've got to put in your eight, dear, eight years of suffering, eight years of work, eight years of prayer. 
Maybe it's seven years. Maybe you'll excel faster than I did. Maybe it's 11 years like St. Paul who really had it hard to get it. But he had already killed Stephen too, see? So he had much more time to have to learn how to be a Christian. You who have lived in the love of God, that's you out there who's been suffering for these years. God's just now released you just like we were released on May 31st, 1995. That was a release for our community. Go, how'd she say? Get. On your mark, set, get. <laughs> get as many hearts as you can. Close to my heart. And every community here can testify how many times we're put in this position. And so this is a profound message. This is a, this is a standalone message. There's something new, one here. And if you've read it and you gloated over it, you've missed the point. That's why he says, my messages are profound. You have to pray to understand them. So we were given a wonderful thing today for you who have been in the movement for so long. And I retract that statement. Been in the Medjugorje phenomenon. It's not, again, a movement. You're released. You got to be tactful. You can't force it. You can't make it happen. You got to let God act, just like I was placed in the plane next to this woman. I told her I'll reserve her a special seat so she can be up there because, again, she wasn't so close to the events and not that interested in it. But she knew and I knew we were put together for a purpose a destiny with God, a destiny really with His mother. And so, do you want this? Live it. And live in the love of God, you'll get it. Gandhi said, I agree with Christ, but I never met a Christian who made me want to be one. For many, you may be the only Bible someone may see. Jesus' last words before ascending were, Go and be a witness to the ends of the earth. Many are turned away by we who are supposed to live light and silence rather than going around just talking faith. The stars at night speak loud and clear, yet remain silent. Our homes and surroundings should do the same. That is the purpose of the resting place. From Birmingham, take 280 East. Turn left onto Shelby County Road 43. Six and one half miles to the resting place at Caritas of Birmingham, a Christian store unlike any other. You're listening to Radio Wave with a friend of Medjugorje. Now, just before we went to the break, you were speaking about the um, May 31st, 1995 message, and you were speaking about we, the community, and really, it was really, um, Our Lady was really, the, her, the original message, October 6th, was really to you personally, and the people who came to community followed in the witness that she had showed you to live, and if Our Lady was going to tell you to be a witness, she was going to give you the um the means of understanding what it meant to be a witness. And so when you say we, I just want to qualify for everyone out there that that it's um, he's speaking to the community, but the community is follows in the witness that Our Lady showed uh, him to um, what it is that she required uh, to witness to the messages. But uh, 
being in this witness, though, you have written more on in, than anyone else on the Medjugorje messages uh, and given solid direction on the things that are already shown. Oftentimes, uh, in your writings, you will take uh, a part of a message, maybe not the message as a whole, but you might take one sentence or part of a sentence of a message. And, um, and many times people who read these things in this context understand the fullness of, of what it is that's trying to be said. But sometimes there are, I, I think sometimes there are people who may have an issue with the fact that you're not quoting the entire message simply because Our Lady said not to take anything away from them or add anything to them. Uh, maybe that you're uh, make, making two for one out of the message, so to speak, through some of the things that you're writing. So I'm just wondering how you might address that, particularly in light of today's message. Well, very simply, I just did that a little while ago. I quoted this message, you who have experienced God's gifts, witness them with your words and your life. When in fact, what I say is you who live in the love of God and have experienced this gift. I dropped out who live in the love of God. I didn't change anything in the message. No more than the church changes the gospel or the readings. Every Sunday, look at what it says, in, uh, what the church does with the scriptures. It may say, Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, then 15 to 16, chapter 3, verse 2. That's pretty chopped up. So what the church is doing is wrong? It's wrong if you say what I'm doing is wrong. You can't interpret scriptures out of the context of the whole scriptures. Whatever verse you take out, which the church does it every single Sunday, you can check it this Sunday. And when it's chopped up, none of that meaning, and they're putting it in sentences, continuous flow, like you think it's coming right out as it's written. It's not written that way in the readings. But the meaning is the same. There's no spirit of truth taken from it. There's nothing taken from the Bible. And they're put in a purpose of not out of context of the overall scriptures. If it's taken out of context and it contradicts the scriptures, there's a problem. If you take something here in a way and you take pieces of the messages, if it doesn't have the, in the context of all the overall messages, then you've done it wrong and you're at fault. I never do that. And yet I'll leave things out of the messages to drive home the point. Just as I said earlier, you who have received, experienced, experienced God's gifts, witness them with your life. Who are those people? You who live in the love of God. So I don't buy that. There's something wrong with that. What Our Lady meant, don't take anything away or add anything to it, is when you change the words. Or you change the meaning of really the spirit of what Our Lady says. You can't Look at these and interpret them. And yes, I say interpret because they need to be interpreted. If you, you, if you don't interpret them, you never expound the, uh, find the profoundness of the messages. And so what is Our Lady saying for us today? To do? And if that, I think, I don't know if that answers your question completely, but I don't buy that. I don't buy that in one way except the church is wrong if I'm wrong what I do with this. Can people just anywhere go to that? No, there's years and years and years of prayer behind that. Everything, when you take part of the message, has to be in the context of the overall message and not contradict anything. Because if it contradicts something, you've taken something away. But I can talk about this show tonight, take this message tomorrow night on another show, talk about totally different topics and subjects. 
So it's not saying this is what this message means for everybody who walks the earth. It's 6.5 million billion meanings times a thousand. And so we put it in the context of the news of the day, what's happening in the culture. We speak about those things and apply it. But tomorrow I can do the same thing in another way. That's the profoundness of the message. It addresses every situation, every issue, and every way. And my charism, the gift that God gave me, the gift that Our Lady won from me through her incessantly intercession, is to help people crack that open, to show you, show you how to enter into the messages. And so Our Lady is saying today, you be a Bible. You give somebody a Bible. Put it in somebody's hands. But not, not the words. You may say words, like St. Francis says, witness the Bible, witness uh, with your life, basically, witness with your life, use words as necessary. And a communication world like ours is now, we do have to use some words. But they're empty if you don't have nothing to back it up. You've got to have your eight years. You've got to go through the boot camp of the lady, the school of our lady. And you'll be, whether it be your grandmother, somebody else who loves unconditionally, will be a Bible that you place in their hands. Their life, the grand, the grand can be the Bible, just the way she lived. My granny showed me how to love unconditionally. She taught me all about generosity Give with all your heart To those who will receive That's the way we all should be And I know the reason I'm The way that I am It's because she put a Bible My granny put a Bible in my As I listen carefully And after that she'd always ask me to sing And I hope she knows the reason I'm the way that I am It's because she put a Bible My granny put a Bible in my She gave me the word And she planted a seed Now the Lord Jesus Christ Lives inside of me I'm the way that I am 
It's because she put a Bible My granny put her Bible In my I was at the store the other day and walked by a bookshelf, grocery store, actually, and they got these Christian books. Sometimes they put up on the thing. I saw one, caught my eye. It was about a pilot named Dale Black, and it was titled Flight to Heaven. And so I picked it up, and of course I had to buy it. Brought it home. I read half of it yesterday in my Sunday reading. And Dale had been on a at 19 years of age, he had a great desire to fly. So he got his pilot's lesson, license rather, and he went up with two other guys who he had known for a while. And he was in the seat right behind the pilot and the co-pilot, just directly behind them, and ended up crashing. The FAA ruled it was a non-survivable of, of plane crash. It's broken up in so many little pieces. He was so broken up, the first two people died, the other two guys ended up dying. He was uh, teetering between life and death. And as he describes what all happened in the book, he lost all his memory, and as it comes back, it takes some time for months for him to come back, but he does survive. But he had so many things in his body that were completely broken that he realized that he was egotistical. He was riding around in hot rods. He'd given his life to Christ when he was 14, 15, something like that. But he, li- he realized he lived for himself. But after his experience, he had so much love in his heart, just like this granny, to love unconditionally. For some reason, he came back without memory, but he had a love for all the nurses. Everybody was working with him. Something he'd never felt before. And he didn't know where that came from. But he always regretted as he progressed that he didn't talk to the other two pilots who died about Jesus Christ. They were put in a position to do that, and here he was, he only lived for himself. Like all these messages, you who live in the love of God have experienced his gifts. Witness them with your words. And he knew they wasn't religious, and he feared that they went to perdition. And so he felt real guilty about this. Slowly, his memory came back. But what he did with God is he started to pray for every part of his body. He, he had no, they were, his leg was going to be two or three inches shorter. Somehow it healed. The doctor couldn't believe it. It happened over and over. And over. His eye was gashed through the forehead, across his forehead. I couldn't see. That healed completely miraculously. He would pray, and he said he grew in faith with God and said, I know you can heal this, and he'd pray for that one body part. Twelve surgeries just went over and over and over. The doctors always spellbound by how could this happen. They said he'd be in the hospital for eight months. He was in only less than eight days. So they, called, they all called him basically a miracle guy, a celebrity. As it was, he was in for his twelfth surgery. Uh, he was tired of having surgery, again, for something that was impossible to fix. They were just going to do the best they could with it. And I'm going to let Joan read a story. In this show, we're going to have two parables, really. It's a, more, more of a parable about what Our Lady said today. 
the gifts you've been given by God to witness them with words and with your life. And because Dale had failed with these other two men, no matter how awkward it was, he was determined he would not let opportunity like that pass again. When I got to my room, I noticed the curtains were drawn between me and my roommate. It wasn't long before I learned why. Nurse, an angry voice blurted out. Get in here. Can you hear me? Nurse. When the nurse came in, you could see the weariness on her face from having to answer endless calls like this from the crabby old man. He rattled off a litany of complaints. Dinner was cold. The meat was tough. Everything tasted bland. The TV wasn't working right. The volume was set too low. Then another diatribe about his medication. Congratulations, Dale, I thought. You've got yourself a real winner this time. I wondered whether I would have to put up with this all night. Then unexpectedly, the gentlest of thoughts came into my mind. I began to wonder about this man, his life, where he was spiritually. I wondered why he was so angry. An overwhelming love for him came over me, and I felt compelled to speak to him. I prayed silently for him. Then I maneuvered myself out of bed, let go of the railing, and hopped across the room. I grabbed the curtain that separated us and wiggled it. Hello, sir, I said. What's your name? The paw stretched for what seemed an eternity. Then he spoke, his words bristling with irritation. Name's Green. Joel Green. Well, my name is Dale Black, Mr. Green. I guess we'll be sharing the same room. Nice to meet you. He pulled back the curtain. A leathery saddlebag of a face glared at me. What are you in the hospital for? You're just a kid. I chuckled. Yeah, I don't know if you remember a plane crash back in July. I went on to give him the short version of the story. He did, in fact, recall hearing about it on the news. And he recalled one of the headlines in the newspaper. Fate? Coincidence? Or cruel irony? We talked about the aircraft, about the monument, and about the miracle of my surviving. And then I just blurted it out. Mr. Green, do you know Jesus Christ? He's the reason I'm alive. He has given me joy like I never knew before. I have purpose in my life now, Mr. Green. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He looked away. No answer. Mr. Green, do you know about the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? Silence. Then a softening of the face. Then tears. Lots and lots of tears. At last he spoke. I'm a minister's son. His voice trembled. I'm 77 years old and I've been running from God all my life. He sniffed in the emotion and said with sadness in his voice, It's too late for me now, Dale. It's never too late, Mr. Green. It's never too late to allow God to take your life and turn it into something beautiful. God's time is now. Let's get forgiveness for the past mistakes. God says in his word that when you ask him to forgive you, your sins are thrown away as far as the east is from the west. In other words, he forgets them. It's great, Mr. Green. Give God your life now, and you'll forever be glad you did. Again, silence. I wondered about his reaction, wondered if I had been too bold, too brash. 
But the love I had for him was overwhelming, just like the love I had for people the first week after the crash. A lot was at stake, I thought. Everything was at stake. At last, I spoke again. Mr. Green, would you like to pray to God now and ask him to forgive you? Again, silence. Then softly, I, uh, I'd like that. Mr. Green didn't quite know what to say. I sensed that. I also sensed that the walls of bitterness were coming down. I wasn't quite sure what to do next, what to say, or how to say it. I wasn't experienced at things like this. Just repeat after me, Mr. Green. He nodded, and I just relaxed and tried not to get in the way of what God wanted to do. Dear God, he repeated after me, I'm sorry I've been running away from you. And he repeated that too. I should have been running to you. He continued word for word. Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm tired of running. As soon as those words came from his mouth, he broke down and wept, then sobbed. I waited until the tears ran their course. Father, I said. Father, he said. Thank you for your unending love. Thank you for your unending love. And for sending your son to die on the cross for me. And for sending your son to die on the cross for me. I invite Jesus into my life right now. I invite Jesus into my life right now. Take over the controls of my life. Take over the controls of my life. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, God. Amen. He dried his tears, thanked me, and we talked a while until the nurse came to check on him. I could tell by how he treated her that he was a changed man. The nurse could tell, too. He was polite and gentle with her and with me. After she left, he told me to call him by his first name, Joel, he reminded me. We talked into the night and became friends, more than friends, buddies. Bright and early in the morning, I was prepped for surgery. Joel's side of the room was quiet, and I didn't disturb him. I was wheeled away. The last thing I remember is the nurse giving me a needle in the hip. After surgery, when I was finally wheeled back to my room, I added my shoulder to the list of wonders that God had performed in my life. A nurse came in to fluff my pillow and pull a blanket over me. I glanced over to say hello to Joel. His bed was empty. Hey, where's my buddy, I asked, motioning to the other side of the room. The nurse shook her head. Joel's gone, Dale. I'm sorry. He died early this morning. I was stunned. My breath left me. My thoughts left me. Then it hit me. Joel was in heaven. And I wasn't sad. I vowed then and there never to be timid about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ again. Suddenly I realized another reason why I was in the hospital. I thought of how intricate and complete God's love truly is. It wasn't just for me and my shoulder. It was also for Joel. I know a priest who passed an accident. And he thought for a moment he should stop and see if he needed to get the last rites if something was serious. And he could tell by the record it was serious. He later heard on the news that the two people had died. He always regretted that the rest of his life. 
You don't have to have experience, as Dale thought, what he said, to do what he did with Joel. But what you do have to have is experience to live in the love of God. If you look at Our Lady, and you walk with her, you'll get to points where the fighting in you will be, lo- be left with it. You won't have anything left in you to fight. You feel like you're sinking so far that you can't do anymore. Do I have regrets? There'll be nothing to lift your head when you fall on your pillow at night over the suffering. But this is a lady's walk. It may take you eight years, maybe longer. And even after that, it doesn't cease. But one thing you need to do is always look to our lady. And you don't have to have experience. And she'll put you with the release of this message in front of the jewels that will need you. So every night when you lay down, heaven hears you.
And for those of you out there who have suffered for years, you've given it all, your strength's gone. And Our Lady says, to look at me, listen to me, follow me. Today, Our Lady did something incredible. Our Lady gives today you a cause. So can you imagine all the years of sacrifice, suffering, all the strength you've lost, that she gives you the cause. You who have lived in the love of God and have experienced his gift, witness them with your words and life, that they may be for the joy and encouragement to others in faith. This message, I tell you, is incredible. A milestone, a new stepping stone to a higher level. That when you hear God, when you hear his promptings, you feel the inspirations, you don't run from him. You go toward him. Is it pleasant? I've often been in situations I didn't want to do what God wanted me to do. But when I did it, I thought, whoa, thank God I did it. Thank God Dale did what he did with Joel. How many Joels have you missed? Or if you're not suffering, if you don't go through your time, you can't get out there and do this with success. You get the authority to promote and speak about the messages by living them. Not for a month, two months, but for years. And suffering for them. You won't get it with that purification. It's not pleasant. And there in that time, you'll think you're lost without a cause. And then it all come clear to you. Just like the story that Joan's going to read to us now of a woman who didn't want to hear God's promptings. April 20th, 2005, at the airport in Knoxville, waiting to board the plane, I had the Bible on my lap and was very intent upon what I was doing. I'd had a marvelous morning with the Lord. I say this because I want to tell you, it is a scary thing to have the Spirit of God really working in you. You could end up doing some things you never would have done otherwise. Life in the Spirit can be dangerous for a thousand reasons, not the least of which is your ego. I tried to keep from staring, but he was such a strange sight, humped over in a wheelchair. He was skin and bones, dressed in clothes that obviously fit when he was at least 20 pounds heavier. His knees protruded from his trousers, and his shoulders looked like the coat hanger was still in his shirt. His hands looked like tangled masses of veins and bones. The strangest part of him was his hair and nails. Stringy gray hair hung well over his shoulders and down part of his back. His fingernails were long, clean, but strangely out of place on an old man. I looked down at my Bible as fast as I could, discomfort burning my face. As I tried to imagine what his story might have been, I found myself wondering If I just had a Howard Hughes sighting, then I remember that he was dead. So this man in the airport, an impersonator maybe, was a camera on us somewhere? There I sat, trying to concentrate on the word to keep from being concerned about a thin slice of humanity served up on a wheelchair only a few seats from me. All the while, my heart was growing more and more overwhelmed with the feeling for him. Let's admit it. Curiosity is a heap more comfortable than true concern, and suddenly I was awash with aching emotion for this bizarre-looking old man. I had walked with God long enough to see the handwriting on the wall. I've learned that when I begin to feel what God feels, something so contrary to my natural feelings, something dramatic is bound to happen, and it may be embarrassing I immediately began to resist because I could feel God working on my spirit, and I started arguing with God in my mind. Oh, no, God, please no. I looked up at the ceiling as if I could stare straight through it into heaven and say, Don't make me witness to this man, not right here and now. 
please, I'll do anything. Put me on the same plane, but don't make me get up here and witness to this man in front of this gawking audience. Please, Lord. There I sat in the blue vinyl chair, begging his highness. Please don't make me witness to this man. Not now. I'll do it on the plane. Then I heard it. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. The words were so clear, my heart leapt into my throat and my thoughts spun like a top. Do I witness to the man or brush his hair? No brainer. I looked straight back up at the ceiling and said, God, as I live and breathe, I want you to know I am ready to witness to this man. I'm on this, Lord. I'm your girl. You've never seen a woman witness to a man faster in your life. What difference does it make if his hair is a mess, if he is not redeemed? I am going to witness to this man. Again, as clearly as I've ever heard an audible word, God seemed to write this statement across the wall of my mind. That is not what I said, Beth. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to go brush his hair. I looked up at God and quipped, I don't have a hairbrush. It's in my suitcase on the plane. How am I supposed to brush his hair without a hairbrush? God was so insistent that I almost involuntarily began to walk toward him as these thoughts came to me from God's word. I will thoroughly furnish you unto all good works. I stumbled over to the wheelchair thinking I could use one myself. Even as I retell this story, my pulse quickens and I feel those same butterflies. I knelt down in front of the man and asked as demurely as possible, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? He looked back at me and said, What did you say? May I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? To which he responded in volume 10, Little lady, if you expect me to hear you, you're going to have to talk louder than that. At this point, I took a deep breath and blurted out, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? At which point, every eye in the place darted right at me. I was the only thing in the room looking more peculiar than the old Mr. Longlocks. Face crimson and forehead breaking out in a sweat, I watched him look at me with absolute shock on his face and say, If you really want to. Are you kidding? Of course I didn't want to. But God didn't seem interested in my personal preference right about then. He pressed on my heart until I could utter the words, Yes, sir, I would be pleased. But I have one little problem. I don't have a hairbrush. I have one in my bag, he responded. I went around to the back of that wheelchair, and I got on my hands and knees and unzipped the stranger's old carry-on, hardly believing what I was doing. I stood up and started brushing the old man's hair. It was perfectly clean but it was tangled and matted. I don't do many things well, but must admit I've had notable experience untangling knotted hair mothering two little girls. Like I'd done with either Amanda or Melissa in such a condition, I began brushing at the very bottom of the strands, remembering to take my time not to pull. A miraculous thing happened to me as I started brushing that old man's hair. Everybody else in the room disappeared. There was no one alive for those moments except that old man and me. I brushed and I brushed and I brushed until every tangle was out of that hair. 
I know this sounds so strange, but I've never felt that kind of love for another soul in my entire life. I believe with all my heart, I, for that few minutes, felt a portion of the very love of God, that He had overtaken my heart for a little while, like someone renting a room and making himself at home for a short while. The emotions were so strong and so pure that I knew they had to be God's. His hair was finally as soft and smooth as an infant's. I slipped the brush back in the bag and went around the chair to to face him. I got back down on my knees, put my hands on his knee, and said, Sir, do you know my Jesus? He said, Yes, I do. Well, that figures, I thought. He explained, I've known him since I married my bride. She wouldn't marry me until I got to know the Savior. He said, you see, the problem is I haven't seen my bride in months. I've had open-heart surgery, and she's been too ill to come see me. I was sitting here thinking to myself, what a mess I must be for my bride. Only God knows how often he allows us to be part of a divine moment when we're completely unaware of the significance. This, on the other hand, was one of those rare encounters when I knew God had intervened in details only he could have known. It was a God moment, and I'll never forget it. Our time came to board, and we were not on the same plane. I was deeply ashamed of how I'd acted earlier and would have been so proud to have accompanied him on that aircraft. I still had a few minutes, and as I gathered my things to board, the airline hostess returned from the corridor, tears streaming down her cheeks. She said, that old man sitting on the plane sobbing. Why did you do that? What made you do that? I said, do you know Jesus? He can be the bossiest thing. And we got to share. I learned something about God that day. He knows if you're exhausted, you're hungry, you're serving in the wrong place, or it is time to move on, but you feel too responsible to to budge. He knows if you're hurting or feeling rejected. He knows if you're sick or drowning under a wave of temptation, or he knows if you just need your hair brushed. He sees you as an individual. Tell him your need. I got on my own flight, sobs choking my throat, wondering how many opportunities, just like that one, I had missed along the way, all because I didn't want people to think I was strange. God didn't send me to that old man. He sent that old man to me. God may ask you to do something that doesn't make sense when he asks you. But he still expects you to do it. We keep asking God to send a little love. You're it. It's so dark We can hardly see it all It's getting hard To read the writing on the wall But on and on We all must go Off to You sing a little
But if there's any left when it's all said and done Would you send a little So lost and so far away from you in the narrow path that leads us home. If we have to wander here alone, won't you send little love? Like the sun, let it pour on down on everyone. I know we ask way too much, but if there's any left when it's all said and done, won't you send a little love? I'll Ladies calling us to a love of God. Not in the way I said that, of just loving God. But in the love of God, and the way you love Him, that you love all people. Not knowing their circumstances. Or the jewels out there headed the wrong direction. That if you're bold enough, if you suffer enough to the messages, you've matured enough that you can offer just enough love to save somebody from even the fires of hell. You don't know your impact. Today in our bedroom where the apparitions took place, we've had candles burning for special intention. Just one little light. One little candle that you can be. To save the world, our latest principle of our plan is not the mega church. Not the pulpits reaching thousands of peoples, not the programs, but one-on-one, the human touch, the human love that you touch somebody that doesn't know what love is. They haven't experienced it. They're hardened. 
You've got power. You've been commissioned today with gifts that God's given to you through your sufferings for the last years to witness them with your words to save the world. You've been strengthened through these things and weakened at the same time humanly, a suffering no one wants to go through. But your eyes are open that others might be able to see. And it all starts with you. It starts with me. God save the world God save the child Humble the strong Strengthen the mild Open my eyes That I might see God save the world Starting with me I light a candle Stare at the flame I see the only Way this world can change One tiny light In each of us A seed of hope A mighty love God save the world God save the child Humble the strong Strengthen the mild Open my eyes That I might see God save the world Starting with me God save our homes God save this earth Let each and every one of us See what prayer is worth That I might see God save the world Starting with me Oh, children of Our Lady, 
love. Love people. Look for the joys. Find them. God wants you to encounter them. You're commissioned. You're to set out with her. Your eyes have been opened. And you're called to save the world. Don't continue to wonder or that you have a lost cause. From this moment, you have the cause. And you can't be given a cause without being given a grace for it. So tomorrow, who it may be put across with this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, be ready. Be ready to do one thing. Be ready to love. We wish you, Our Lady. We love you. Good night.